I want to share with you this morning my last sermon. You can <laughs> thank you, Jeff. <laughs> well, I guess that presupposes one way we're looking at it. There's a couple of ways you could look at this. We'll get to that one. Since I was gone for part of the week, we could say my last sermon, which means I'm going to share with you my last sermon from last week, meaning maybe I didn't have time to get something ready to share with you today. That's not what I have to share with you. It is not my, well, I don't want to presume on the future. I don't think it's my last sermon in that sense. I thought about this cartoon of the preacher who determined to make his last sermon his last sermon, and you you see him up there behind the pulpit, you see the moving truck out the window, and you, you have the caption where he says, there's a few things I'd like to get off my chest. <laughs> I don't come before you with any of those concerns, so it's not my last sermon in that sense. Of course, I don't want to presume on the future. I guess we're all mortal. We know how life can change. But I, if God willing, this won't be my last sermon in, in that sense. I'd like to have the opportunity to share with you at least another week or two or, or, or longer than that. But my last sermon that I want to share with you today was the title of a life-changing article I came across back a few years ago when I was on staff at Atlanta Bible College and the Church of General Conference. Uh, some of you, I've shared some of these thoughts a few years ago. Many of you probably have not heard these, so those of you have, bear with me. But uh, back when I served on staff at our headquarters in Bible College, I was one day in the archives room. Now, let me qualify that that was a very rare event. I didn't go into this room, but the archives room contains some very old documents associated with the history of our movement dating back, I guess, the late 1800s. Uh, a variety of articles and things that were pres are preserved there that are, are valuable for us to remember uh, in terms of our history. And as I was in there this one day, I, I happened to see on a desk a, a stack of magazines and articles, and a particular magazine cover stood out to me that was dated July the 21st, 1936. What really caught my attention was the bold title, My Last Sermon. And something about that caused me to stop and take a look, and I picked up that very old magazine. And as I read the preface to the article, I found that it was one of a series of articles that were published during that time. And it was called My Last Sermon because it was based upon a message that was delivered to an audience by a speaker who presumably the, the audience would never see again. And I guess my thought on that was when the Apostle Paul, as was recorded in the book of Acts, when he called the elders from the city of Ephesus, and he shared with, it, some, with them some things on his heart and his mind, and one statement made, Acts twenty twenty five. he said, And now, behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. Paul went on to live probably a number of years beyond that, but that was the very last time that he spoke with those elders from Ephesus. And so that's kind of the premise of this article, Sermon, My Last Sermon. This particular writer and, uh, and preacher would presumably never see the people that he preached to on that particular occasion. Now, to get real personal about this, and it's been interesting in the past few years how this has worked out, this article was the transcript of a sermon preached by a man named J.H. Anderson. The name may sound a bit familiar because his namesake is in this congregation. John Anderson is the grandson of J.H. Anderson. And, of course, many of us remember John's aunt, Vady Bigger, who was J.H. Anderson's daughter. 
Now, to tell you just a little bit about this man, J.H. Anderson, as I understand uh, concerning him, he was a bit of a legend from the area where I grew up in Indiana. Uh, He kind of got around everywhere, I guess, John, but he was at least part of his life kind of a circuit-riding preacher back in the day. And uh, he was highly revered in my home church because they didn't have a pastor for a number of years. They met in a school, and uh, on those Sundays when he would come around, they would have church services... And, and he was a man mighty in the Word of God from all I've ever heard. And so he was revered as a man of great faith, a man who was very much, uh, very much tied to the truth of the Word of God. And so his strong biblical preaching had a great impact in that area and in many other areas. So this man was the author of the article that I read in the archives that day. As I read through the message text of this article... One thing that stood out very quickly to me is there are timeless truths in this particular message and in this article. And in fact, as I read through it, I realized that this message, to my way of thinking, summarized the true biblical gospel better than anything I had ever read or had heard before. And so I believe so strongly in what I read that day and what's been with me for these years since that if I were to share with you my last sermon it would be the essence of what I read from J.H. Anderson in our archives that day. And so that is the basis of what I want to share with you this morning. Again, I preface it. It is that important. If you've heard nothing I've shared with you in four and a half years, I hope you heard something. But if you heard nothing else, I want you to hear these things that are based on this article, this message, the, the timeless truth of the Word of God, the Gospel, that you may not have heard in these terms. I want you to hear that clearly today because this is that important to share with you. So let me begin by saying that since creation, God has very consistently held out the same offer to all people everywhere, even as He holds it out today. God initiated that offer at the very beginning in the Garden of Eden. I'm going to give you a lot of verses. You probably will not have time to turn to all of these. I hope that you will take the time to jot these down as we share them. But Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may freely eat, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. God's offer, spoken the very first time in the Garden of Eden. It is very basic, it is very simple, but it is monumentally important. God says, I offer you on the one hand life, and on the other hand, I offer you death. One or the other, you have that choice. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 15, God says, See, I have set before you today life and prosperity and death and adversity. Again, the exact same timeless offer. You can have life or you can have death. Jeremiah chapter 21, verse 8. Thus says the Lord. There's the note of authority in these words. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I set before you the way of life and the way of death. Pretty easy to pick up on this theme. God offers one of two things to all people at every time in every location. Perhaps more familiar, Romans chapter 6, verse 23, The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. God, again, offers to all people 
at all times, in every location, either life or death. Not surprisingly, Jesus, God's Son, would also speak about the very same thing, God's invitation and God's plan. In Matthew chapter 7, two verses, verses 13 and 14, he says, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Again, God's timeless offer stands, as was spoken by God, as was spoken by his prophets, as was spoken by his own son. Choose life or choose death. You must choose, but the choice is yours. If that is God's offer, if God offers those alternatives to us and everyone faces those same choices, it is critically important that we choose well And it is of the utmost importance that we know exactly what it is that we choose. And it may may seem pretty basic. If he offers life and he offers death, well, we understand what that is. But it's pretty important that we indeed understand exactly what God says about death and about life if we are going to make an intelligent choice. So let's consider this in terms of what God says about death. Ecclesiastes 9, verse 5, he says, For the living know that they will die, but the dead do not know anything. Psalm 146, verse 4 says, Concerning death, his spirit departs, he returns to the earth, in that very day his thoughts perish. By those two verses, and there are many, many others I could bring out to share with those verses, By God's own definition, it's important that we understand what death really is. Death means that we go back to the dust from which we are made, to the grave, a place where one does not know anything. Consciousness totally ceases at the time of death. So to understand that is God's definition and the reality of death, it's also important that we understand what life is if God offers to us both. Life then certainly is exactly the opposite of that. And so eternal life is to exist forever as an intelligent, conscious, living being. Life in the truest and fullest sense that there can possibly be. This offer that God gives to all people of all times, this offer especially of life, the offer of life eternal can be realized only through God's Son. John chapter 17, verse 3, Jesus tells us a very important truth. Now this is eternal life. This then is his working definition. Now this is eternal life that they may know you the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So apparently it's pretty important that we understand this. Eternal life is in knowing the only true God and His Son, Jesus Messiah, whom He has sent. Jesus says in John chapter 10, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. He says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I will give eternal, and I give eternal life to them, and they shall never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. God offers eternal life to all who would receive, and eternal life is to be found only in His Son. 
And since death is truly the total cessation of life, then resurrection is the only way that we can receive that life through His Son. And so again, it's pretty important that we understand who and what we are. Let me state it again. We are completely, totally mortal. We do not have any form of immortality now. It is commonly taught that we do, that man has an immortal soul. But based upon God's sure word, we are totally mortal. There is nothing that survives on the day of death. The capacity to breathe, that which is called the breath of life, which animates us now. On the day that we die, we give up that breath, that pneuma. That's basically what it means, like the air in your tires. We give up that inanimate capability, that breath that God gave us to to take in oxygen and to exhale carbon dioxide. That capacity is given up. At the moment of death, we are then totally unaware. We totally cease to exist in every way, shape, or form. And we will not live again unless there is something called resurrection, a return to life again, which is available only through God's Son, Jesus the Christ. Revelation 22, verse 12, And He says, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. Jesus claims to be the resurrection and the life. He will be the determining factor in which it is that we receive of the gracious offer that God makes. Choose life or choose death. And so a day is coming when our faith is to be determined by the choices that we have made, our response to the offer that God has made. Now, to not choose is not an option. Because to not choose is by default to choose death in the most absolute sense of all. We are naturally lost right now because of the choice that was made back in the Garden of Eden. So it's imperative that we be aware of that. If we do not choose, we've chosen. We have by default chosen God's offer of death. Because we're in a state of death right now because, again, of what was done in the Garden of Eden. Romans chapter 5 Verse 12 tells us, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. It's like a plague. The plague began in the Garden of Eden. Sin entered into the world through one man, and death has spread to all men because all have sinned. That's all-inclusive, every one of us in this room. So again, by default, we choose death unless we consciously choose God's offer of life. Not surprisingly, the choice begins with the Bible, the Word of God. The Bible outlines very, very clearly what we must do if we would take up God on His offer of life. It all begins with the important step of faith, because believing what God has said is absolutely imperative if we would receive His offer. Hebrews 11 Verse 6, a very important verse. And without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is and that He is the rewarder of those who seek Him. That's as basic as it gets. That's what faith is about. It's impossible to please God without faith because how do you believe in in someone who exists? Well, you've got to have the faith. You've got to have faith to believe that God actually exists and to believe that God rewards those who diligently seek after Him. So it begins with faith, but that's not the end of it. Faith is belief in specifics. 
Yes, it begins with God. It begins by believing in the God who has a name, whose name is Yahweh. And about one out of every four verses in the Bible remind us that that's who this God is, not just the title, but a God who has a name. Faith begins with a God who specifically has a name. And faith goes on to be a belief in a particular specific message because there is only one gospel. That gospel begins in Genesis. It runs all throughout scriptures, but you read about it right at the very beginning in the book of Genesis. There are two key aspects to the gospel. Important that we wrap our minds around it. Genesis 17 verse 8. God says to Abraham, the man of faith, I will give to you and to your descendants after you the land of your sojournings, the land of your wanderings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. The gospel involves land, real estate. And no doubt you pick up on the fact it involves some Middle Eastern real estate, but more than that. Secondly, according to what God said in Genesis 22, verse 18 to Abraham, in your seed, singular, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Some very important descendant of Abraham, we know him to be Jesus, the Son of God, the Christ, the Messiah, all the nations would be blessed through him. So then again, this is the gospel that you read in Genesis, that you read all the way through to the book of Revelation, This is the gospel that God has a plan to give the earth to Abraham and to his descendants. The good news is we can choose to be the descendants of Abraham. Galatians chapter 3 verse 8. The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles, that's us, the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying that all the nations will be blessed in you. So again, the gospel preached beforehand in Abraham's day. The gospel that we think is probably a New Testament thing through Jesus. A gospel that is extended on down to us. That God's plan is to include not just the chosen nation and the chosen people, but all who would come by faith. Very important passage. Also found in Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 to 29. I love these verses. The first verses I learned when I went to Atlanta Bible College, Oregon Bible College in the day. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. As a result, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, I love this verse. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants heirs according to the promise. We can't choose biological family, can we? We're either born into this family or we're not. The family of Abraham, we have a choice. We can choose to be part of his family, and we come in through his descendant, Jesus. And if we are baptized, we have clothed ourselves with Christ, this passage says. All distinctions are gone because of that. So nobody's more important or less important because of the choice that is made to be a, a part of Abraham's family. And if you belong to Christ, the side benefit that is so very, very important is that you are then Abraham's descendant and you are heirs according to the promise. You stand to inherit that which, which our wealthy ancestor Abraham has, namely the entire earth. 
Isn't it interesting? Jesus says the meek shall inherit the earth. That's totally consistent with what God promised Abraham. We, his descendants, are the meek who will indeed inherit the earth. That is the promise made to us. That is the gospel. Again, the only way for God's plan to be put into effect is through the death and the resurrection of Jesus, the descendant of Abraham. And so it is only through Abraham's descendant Jesus and his resurrection that resurrection is possible for us, again, knowing that death is the total, absolute cessation of life. There's no way out. There's no other option except to be resurrected. It only happens through the one who is called the first fruit of those who have been risen from the dead. That is tremendous news. The gospel then is the good news of the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ, the son of Abraham. Again, this is the gospel that was preached to Abraham, the timeless gospel that comes down to us. That is the very definite message that we must believe if we are going to have the life that God offers to all people in every generation. Acts chapter 2, verses 37 and 38, the people who heard this same gospel at the beginning of the age called the church age that we now live in, it says, now when they heard this, And I believe what they heard was essentially what I just shared with you. Now, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. Like somebody took a knife and jabbed them in the heart. They were pierced to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? I think there was a sense of desperation in their question. This is a life and death matter. What shall we do? And Peter said, here's what you do. Repent, each one of you, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive... The gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent is the ultimate paradigm shift. It is when you are faced with the facts of the truth of God's word and you say, this changes everything. I thought I understood life. I thought I understood things that mattered. I guess I don't at all. And so it's the ultimate humble act where I say everything changes. What I thought about life and what I thought about priorities, I don't know a thing. I change my mind totally. And so I repent. I embrace that which I have just heard. I embrace that. And as he says, I am baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Baptism is not a work that saves you. It's simply an act of faith to receive a gift. You know, if somebody hands me a gift, it's not going to do a lot of good if I just kind of stand here like this and look at it. I mean, I've got to do something to appropriate the gift. Baptism, in essence... He's picking up the gift and taking it to myself. So so be aware that baptism is simply an act of faith, the, the, the process whereby God would have us receive His free gift, which is Jesus Christ, His Son, who will bring to us the forgiveness of sin. And almost as a footnote, and you will receive the gift of Holy Spirit. What is that all about? That is about everything too, because you will not live the life that you have just embraced unless you have the dynamic spirit of God that made the world and everything in it that made us. Unless you have that spirit within, you cannot live the decision that you've just made. And so how very important that we receive the gift of Holy Spirit. So we must take these steps of faith, of repentance and water baptism. As Galatians 3.27 says, For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. And I like to think of Christ as the brightest, purest, whitest garment you'll ever find. And all of our righteousness is as dirty rags, garments that we've gone out and wallowed in the mud with. We put on the purity of Christ when we come in baptism. Once we choose life through faith, through repentance and baptism, we need to position ourselves and position our lives for growth. 
And that happens through several very important disciplines, namely daily Bible study, prayer, where we commune and worship with God and His Son, our Lord Jesus, service, where we actively give ourselves to others and follow in the footsteps of Christ, and authentic Christian fellowship, where we get together with like-minded believers. We encourage one another toward love and good deeds, as Scripture tells us. And so those are the things that we do. Again, Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 15, where God says, See, I have set before you today life and prosperity on the one hand, death and adversity on the other hand. Based upon my last sermon by J.H. Anderson and my understanding of the message of the Bible, I believe I have set before you life and prosperity and death and adversity. With all my heart, I believe I have set those options before you today. If you have not acted and you choose not to act, it's a hard thing to say, but I need to say that. It had been better if you hadn't come here today, if you choose not to act upon what you've just heard. Because, you know, everyone will stand before the throne of God someday and give an accounting. And you cannot stand before him as of this moment and say, I didn't know. Because if you have heard carefully what I have just shared with you, the timeless truth of God's word, you cannot plead ignorance. And so there's kind of a sentence upon you right now if you don't act upon what you have heard. It would indeed have been better had you not come here today if you choose deliberately not to act to receive the gift of life because most assuredly you must now know that the sentence of death hangs very heavy upon you. I cannot imagine for the life of me why anybody would choose death and destruction when they could so freely and easily have eternal life. Eternal life meaning life in the most abundant sense of the world, the life of the age to come. I do not understand, and I hope no one here has trouble understanding, but freely receives what God has offered. Again, if I could only preach one sermon, if this truly is the last sermon that I would ever preach to you, without a doubt, I know that these are the exact things that I would want to share. There is no doubt in my mind whatsoever, because I know there's nothing more important that I could share with you. And again, I go back and it's reinforced by that message by J.H. Anderson I read. And by my study of Scripture, I am thoroughly, totally convinced this is the essence of what it is all about. I pray that no one leaves here today without acting decisively and positively responding to the very generous offer that God has made. And if you have not decisively chosen, I would love to talk with you and pray with you this day before you leave this building. Let's pray.